Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. As I, was, as I was praying last night, the Lord laid this so strong. I couldn't even, we're in, we're in the book of Hebrews, right? But this scripture kept going through my, my mind, and I couldn't shake it. I had to sit there and just look at it and read it, and read it again, then read it again, then read it again, pray about it, read it again. And I think the reason why is because God needs someone to hear this today. The Holy Spirit spoke to us through his word. Psalm 126, 5 and 6, it says, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go out and plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, those who plant in tears will harvest with joy. Like, I'm telling you, there are people in here that have been praying for years. And there have been tears that have watered those prayers. You have prayed for lost loved ones. You have prayed for, for sick loved ones. You have prayed for, for children. You have played, prayed for finances. You have prayed and labored in prayer. And you've, you've sowed seeds in prayer with tears I'm telling you that you are about to have a harvest in joy God is about to move in those prayers not one tear that has fell off of your face when you were praying for those sick people in your life when you were praying for those lost grandchildren and lost children not one tear has failed to be caught by God 
those who harvest, those who plant in tears will harvest in joy. Your prayers are about to be answered. Your prayers, you're about to sing songs of joy because those prayers you have prayed for years are about to come to pass. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, man, I felt this so strong. Man, there have been people that have prayed for this church for years. You've been praying for a move of God for years. You've cried out. You've seen pastor after pastor after pastor. I'm telling you, those seeds that you've sown in tears, those seeds that you've sown in tears are about to be shouts of joy. The harvest is upon us. They weep as they go out and plant their seeds. Like, uh, like someone needs to hear this. The reason why they weep as they go out and plant their seeds, the children of Israel were coming back from captivity. They were coming back and they had nothing. So all they had might have been a, a handful of seed. And they could eat the seed. They could eat the grain and be a mill. They might be able to, they, they might be able to feed their children for a couple days. But instead, what they did is they took that and they said, you know what, we are going to not eat for this time so we can harvest later. And some of you guys have fasted and prayed for a harvest. I'm telling you, those seeds that you've, that you've sown in, in tears, I'm telling you, they have not been forgotten. They've cried. They were crying as they were planting their seeds because they knew if I plant this grain, I don't get to eat today. If I plant this grain, my kids don't get to eat today. But they knew a harvest was coming. And I'm telling you, the harvest is upon us. The Lord laid this on my heart and I've been wrestling whether I was gonna share it with the church. I shared it with the board and the staff. I'm just going to say it in faith as I was praying for today and praying for this church and praying for you guys the Lord laid so heavy on my heart right over there to the right of Miss Peggy she was, it was right in that area I was just rounding that corner and praying and the Lord said the waiting is over from this Sunday forward you won't look back for what I am doing is too great the time is upon you. Church, are you ready? Are you ready? Because I need you guys. I need you to be praying with me. There is a harvest that needs Jesus. And we're the answer to that. We got to be going out. Jesus, the Lord laid this so strong in my heart. I, I, I hit the ground. I couldn't stand. The waiting is over. From this Sunday forward, you won't look back for what I am doing is too great. The time is upon you. In response, all I could say, all I could pray from that point forward was, let's go. Let's go, God. We can say let's go when our team gets a touchdown or a good run. When God says, hey, the waiting's over, let's say, let's go. God, I'm game. Let's move forward. The waiting's over. The harvest is here. Those who have planted in tears will reap in joy. 
Father, I pray right now for your church. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the harvest. I thank you for your presence. I thank you, God, that you do what only you can do. And I pray right now that that your name will be glorified through us, that people will come to know you that are far from you. Lord Jesus, that's the goal, to connect people to a loving God. I pray right now, from this point forward, that we don't look back. We don't, we don't, we, we let go of the former things to grab hold of the latter things. Lord Jesus, you said the presence of God in the, in the, the, in the latter house is going to be greater than the former house. Pour out your presence, pour out your anointing, pour out, pour out a move. Lord Jesus, we stand on your word. We believe you. And we believe that the time is here. So, Lord, I pray that you just use us. Lord, remove any obstacle that might oppose what you want to do. I thank you, Jesus, for your church. I thank you for your cross. I thank you for your resurrection. I thank you for what you're going to speak to us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Man, I uh, I made a decision, which is good. Decisions are good. But this month, every Wednesday, we're going to be meeting right here. And we're going to be praying. We're going to be praying for this mental health seminar. We're going to be praying that people are going to be changed by the presence and the power of God. We're going to be praying for a harvest the harvest is here the workers are few but you're the workers and and jesus jesus said you know the harvest is plentiful and 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 here's a cool thing about it is as you guys go out and sow seed and and share the the gospel in your daily lives you're going to find that people have already planted seeds of the gospel you you we are going to get to harvest a a we're going to get a harvest that we didn't even plant that someone else has actually done the work and we're going to get to we're going to get to bring it in and 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 god is going to be glorified it's going to be such a beautiful thing but every single wednesday this month we're going to be meeting right here in this building and we're going to be praying for this and if you need one of these if you know someone that's doing they're like this is not going to cure anyone that's jesus's job if you're dealing with mental uh, health issues, like depression, anxiety, this is a tool to point someone in the right direction. That's what this is. Yeah, they could come to this and God could set them free 100%. We believe that, and I'm praying for that. But even if they come to this and hear and just get one tool that can help them in their mental health, that's a win. Because this isn't about getting more people in C1's um, doors or anything like that. This is a need in our nation. And what can we do as a church to reach a need? Well, we have a facility. We know people. We can have a seminar at no cost to anyone. So please, please invite. Please pray with us. I'm really, really excited for what God's going to do 
through this seminar. With that said, you guys probably don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'll go ahead and tell you. I'm going to tell you a joke. It's, it's uh, honestly, Tuesday, I, I subbed in fourth grade, and the kids were being so good that it was like eerie how quiet the classroom was. I'm like, all right, guys, we got to tell some jokes. This is spooky. No, this number of children should not be this quiet. So, like, I got them loud and rambunctious, and I heard this joke um, from one of them, actually. So, why did, why did the kid cross the playground to get to the other slide? Oh, I, yeah, you guys laugh at their jokes, huh? <laughs> no. Uh, I want to tell you what a knock-knock joke is. Uh, it's a sky knock-knock joke from like when she was three. And it's probably still one of my favorite knock-knock jokes. In fact, I have two of them. One's from Sky, One's from my niece when she was two. And I want to warn you ahead of time, they do not make sense. But one of them was from a th mind of a three-year-old. So knock-knock. Jelly. Jellycopter. That's it. That was Sky's favorite knock-knock joke for like a year. And every time she's like, wasn't that so funny, Dad? You get it? Je like jelly and a helicopter. Jellycopter. I'm like, yeah, that's hilarious. And jellycopter. And then my, my two-and-a-half-year-old, uh, she, she's now, she, gosh, she's like 12. But 10 years ago, she was two-and-a-half, and she told me this knock-knock joke. And it will probably forever go down as like the ultimate mic drop as far as knock-knock jokes in my, in my mind. She goes... And she used to call me Bayan. She couldn't, she couldn't say Ryan. She'd go, knock, knock, Bayan. I'm like, who's there? And like 30 seconds went by. I was like, who's there, Addy? She goes, I don't have to answer your questions. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. Like, I'm like, I just got roasted by a two-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, I'm like, part of me... Like, didn't ever want to tell another knock-knock joke because that was, like, the best I've ever heard. So, with that said, we're in the middle of a, a series called Jesus is Greater. And we are not very far into an amazing book called Hebrews. And um, we don't know who wrote the book. A lot of theologians believe Apollos wrote the book. Um, but we don't know that for sure. He doesn't, he doesn't sign it. He doesn't give any indication. Some people think Paul wrote the book. Um, some people think um, like Aquila wrote the book, but we don't know. But we do know that it's in the Bible, and so it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it's something that we need to stand on. And the author goes to great lengths in this book to establish that Jesus is greater. He's, he's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's the greater high priest. He's the greater salvation. He, and, and he challenges us to, to grow out of our infancy in our understanding of Christ, to walk in a maturity through our understanding of Christ. And he's speaking to an audience, a Hebrew audience, um, a.k.a. the Jews, a.k.a. Israelites. They're, they're called all those throughout history. And he's trying to help them through looking at the the law, the Old Testament of the Bible, 
helping them realize that Jesus is greater than all of that. He's the fulfillment of it. He is what God promised, and we can stand on who he is. So he launches into what we're going to be looking at today. We're actually going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16, and then chapter 5, 1 through 10. And I'm actually going to divide this message into two weeks because next week I want to look at why we need a high priest and kind of pick up and really hit home on chapter 5. But this week in chapter 4, we're going to read it all though. And the reason why is because it's one cohesion in your Bible. I don't want to pull something out where it, it builds off. And so what we look at today, the, the two points that we're going to be looking at today is... I'm going to tell you right out the gate, so if you're taking notes, I want, I want us to see this. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. And then the second thought I want to is let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Those are the two thoughts. And he says that at the end of chapter 4. And then the rest of it actually establishes why. So that's why I, can't, I have a hard time, like, you know, just dropping chapter 5. Because it, it's why. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can hold firmly to what we believe. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And, and so let's just get into it. Let us hold firmly to what we believe and let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Some translations just say the throne of grace. So let's pick up in verse 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us, let's say let us together, let us. Everyone, by the end of today, you guys are going to go home and eat a salad. Lettuce. Man, why do I want lettuce? Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Thank you, Jesus. So, come on, let us. So let us. Come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. Come on, somebody. Like, it's not a maybe. It's not a possibly. It's there we will receive his mercy. And we will. This is not a maybe. This is not a possibility. This is not even a percentage. This is take it to the bank you can cash this check at the throne of our gracious god we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most and then he in chapter five he makes a shift but it's, he, he he establishes what a high priest is and the importance of a high priest and we're really going to hit on this next week but every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He represents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. 
and he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. This is what a high priest does. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. This is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father. And in another passage, God said to Christ, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, look at this. We could just skim over it. I want you to see. He learned Think about that for a moment. Think about the weight of what the author just said. Jesus, fully God, fully man, subjected himself to humanity, giving up all his divine rights while he was on earth. And for the first time in eternity, forever past and forever future, he had to learn omniscient God learned obedience from the things he suffered. We complain from the things we suffer, right? God, why is this happening to me? Oh God, why are you allowing this to happen? Why am I going through this? Which, I mean, those are great questions. I'm not saying don't ask them, but Jesus took those opportunities when those moments happened to say, I'm going to submit myself to the Father. I'm going to make myself obedient through my suffering. He learned obedience through what he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Those are a lot of big words and a lot of information here, a lot of Jewish history going on in this passage. And what can we learn from this? So Jesus is the greater high priest. Who's Melchizedek? What does that even mean? Melchizedek was a priest and a king in the Old Testament that we know literally very little about. We know this, though. We know this, that he blessed Abraham... We also know that Abraham paid a, a tithe. In fact, that's actually where we get tithing from, is what Abraham did to Melchizedek. Like, like some people would argue, well, tithing is part of the Old Testament law. It is, but it's, it's because, first, Abraham paid a tithe to Melchizedek. And because of that, um, you know, it predates the law. But So because Abraham paid tithe... Abraham received blessing from Melchizedek. That means that Melchizedek was greater than Abraham, right? Like, um, 
the lesser always pays homage to the greater. And we don't know. The, the Bible never records Melchizedek's death, never records his birth. Some, some, a lot of theologians believe that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. But we don't know other than that it's a higher honor to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek than to be a high priest in the order of Aaron. We know that. And there's whole cults that base their whole religion on this. Mormonism make a huge deal out of this, which is weird. But the author here is just establishing is that Jesus is the greater high priest. Aaron was a high priest called by God, but he was Aaron was lesser than Melchizedek, according to God. But Jesus is in the order of the higher priesthood. So we know this. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus wasn't just a high priest that had to offer sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. So let's, let's just get into it real quick. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. The author launches because Jesus is our high priest. This is what he lets us do. He lets us hold firmly to what we believe. So, with that said, what do we believe? What are we supposed to hold firmly to? Because that, that's, that's the question that we need to answer today. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that every word of the Bible is infallible. It's the inspired word of God. We believe that God existed eternally in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe. What do we believe? And so what, what, what I'm saying would have been common knowledge to the audience. So now let's take it a step further and let's focus on salvation. So we believe that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. But while he was on earth, he did nothing as God. He did everything as man, fully led by the Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus became sin for us and died our death and took our punishment on the cross 2,000 years ago. We believe that three days later, after dying on the cross, he, Jesus was raised to life, forever conquering sin, death, and the grave. Completely, I want you to hear this, completely defeating the works of the devil. Satan is completely, entirely, 100% defeated. And the only authority that he has over any person is the authority that we allow him to have. He is complete. If you're in Christ, you don't have to give him an ounce or an inch. He's completely defeated. We believe that Jesus gives completely a new life and identity when we put our faith in him. We believe that we who put our faith in Jesus will have eternal life, setting us free from eternal death. Do we believe this? 
Do you believe that you, and here's the thing, eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts the moment we receive salvation. We are born again. Jesus has a whole conversation in John chapter 3 with a man named um, Nicodemus, a teacher of the law. And he says, unless you're born again, you can't, you can't receive salvation. And, and Nicodemus is like, well, how do you become born again? I, I mean, like, my mom would object to that. And he's like, no, you, you're, you're, you have to be born of the Spirit. So what, is, what happens when we put our faith in Jesus? He literally gives us a new identity. Our, our old identity before Christ is completely gone. And when we accept Christ and put our faith in him, we get a new identity in him. The Spirit of the living God comes and lives in us. We believe he completely makes us righteous before God upon being born again. You might not feel righteous, but that doesn't matter whether you feel righteous or not. When you become a Christian, you are made right with God. Righteousness is simply put, right standing with God. And you can't do that on your own. You can never have right standing with God. It is only by Christ, through Christ... Ephesians chapter 2 says we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is a free gift from God so that no man can boast. This is free. We are saved by putting our faith in Jesus because of the grace of God. So we're on the, like so what do we hold firmly to? We we hold firmly to these truths in the Bible. We hold firmly. What does it mean to hold firmly? You pick it up and not let no one take it from you. Like the enemy's going to come at you. He's going to try to make you doubt. He's going to try. You hold firmly. We believe that Jesus is coming back to get his church. Those who are born again. Sometimes I think we forget about this. Jesus is coming again. He entered the world the first time through the womb of a virgin. And he came as a, as a child. But the next time he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. He's going to crack open the eastern sky and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. There will be no question who's in charge. There'll be no question who's a superpower. He's a supernatural power that's going to make every person bow. We believe he's coming again. We believe that he's going to rapture his church. He's going to come and take his church out of this world. We can stand on this. We will not all die, but we will be changed in a flash, in a blink, in the twinkling of an eye. <laughs> he's coming back. He's coming to get us. The author of Hebrews is saying, hold firmly to what you believe. Don't let anyone take this truth from you. There's hope in what we believe. The gospel, this gospel is good news. That Jesus died for us. That we can receive salvation just by believing. What, what does that even look like? Jesus, like, think about this. God himself, he could, he could have said, if you want salvation, go climb Mount Everest. He could have done that. 
for the price that he paid to give it to us. But no, he made it so simple. The gospel is so simple that a four-year-old can receive it, and the gospel is so amazing that a, that a hundred-year-old can receive it. He made it simple enough for the simplest mind to, to, to receive salvation, and he made it um, amazing enough for the, the, the most intelligent mind to receive salvation. It baffles us. It doesn't make sense, but all it is is, Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. Forgive me of my sins and come be Lord of my life. That's it. Ten seconds. And you truly do that. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. You're a new creation in Christ. Man, if you're watching online, let me tell you, it's that simple. Put your faith. If you're here in this room, you've never put your faith in Jesus. It's that simple. It's that simple. That's what we believe. It baffles me, though. That when someone can hear the good news that you go from eternal death, when you die, you will, you, you will exist for eternity. And the condition of how you exist is determined on whether you put your faith in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you get eternal life. If you never put your faith in Jesus, you condemn yourself and you get eternal death. That's the reality of our existence after this body is dead. That's the truth. But the good news is it doesn't have to be. The gospel is good news. Jesus saves us from eternal death. And it baffles me that people can hear the gospel and not want it. It does not make sense to me. Who wouldn't want to be saved from eternal death and hell? Who? This is why the author of Hebrews says, hold Firmly, not just hold, hold firmly like you put a death grip on your belief. That way you are not shaken, that you are not stirred because we have a very real enemy church that will come along and sow seeds of doubt into everything we believe. It sounds like, well, oh, this can't be true. That sounds crazy. How many of you guys have ever shared your faith and, and they're like, I don't know. Like, it seems like that, that's, that's wishful thinking or like, oh, you're, you're crazy. And, and the reality is the Bible says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It, it takes act of God to get them to believe. But the enemy, there's always the enemy sowing seeds of doubt. They'll poke fun at it. Atheists make fun of uh, uh, religions all the time, but they make fun of Christianity all the time, the faith. The sad part is people who make fun, they're so deceived themselves. People who who's like, oh, that, that can't be true, or this seems crazy. They're so deceived. Or this is too good to be true. It is too good, but it is true. So that's, that's only God can make something too good to be true, actually true. And salvation in Jesus Christ is too good to be true, but it's true. Or I don't deserve it. I've heard that. The enemy will come in like, well, you've done too much. I've heard that a lot. I, I, can't, I can't receive salvation. I don't deserve salvation. I could say too confidently, confidently, you're right. You don't. Neither do I. That's the point. 
Jesus knew that we didn't deserve it, and he did it anyways because he loves us. God loves us. But I also believe that there are people that are going to hear this message and they're going to say, I need to be born again. Or I need to give my heart back to Jesus. The Holy Spirit's already started to, to pull as we've gone through. What, what are we supposed to hold firmly to? What we believe. And the Holy Spirit's already started to pull on and tug on their heart like, hey, it's time. You've been running long enough. You've been running far enough. You've been, it's, it's time. And here's the cool thing is, it doesn't matter how far you've ran. It doesn't matter how, how much you've sinned. All you have to do is turn around and God is right there to meet you. You don't have to go back through all of that stuff. You don't have to try to be good enough. You don't have to be whatever. You just turn around and give your life to Jesus and he meets you and he cleans you. He, 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 he forgives you. First John chapter 2 says, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John was writing to a bunch of believers. When we sin... That's what he does. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can hold firmly to this. We don't have to doubt. And the cool thing is, once you put your faith in Jesus, it's like he reaffirms it. Like the, the longer I live for Jesus, the more I believe this stuff. The more I put my faith in Jesus, the more I believe it. The more I'm like, man, Je uh, the more I see the news, the more I'm like, oh, Jesus is about to come. Woot, woot. <laughs> the, more I, the more I see missionaries go out to places that I've never heard the gospel, I'm like, oh, Jesus is about to come. Because he said the gospel. If, how, how many of you guys want Jesus to, to rapture the church? Yeah, show your hands. Well, some of you guys are like, no, I'm good. I like my life here. <laughs> cool, you can have... Dude, you can have all my stuff when he comes to get me. So, 1801 Elizabeth Lane. There it is. Come come get it. I want Jesus to rapture the church. The fastest way for him to rapture the church is for all people groups to hear the gospel. Jesus is not coming back until all people groups hear the gospel. That's why, man... Uh, it might be selfish, but that's why I'm pretty a, a, a fanatic about preaching the gospel. I want to see Jesus. I want to go to heaven. I, want, I don't want anyone to go to hell. But I want him to come back, so i got to preach the gospel. we got to support missionaries. we got to get the gospel all over the world. we got to do our part because I want Jesus to come back. He's not coming back until all people groups here. And who's responsible for preaching the gospel? Anyone else? I think all of us, right? We're all responsible for getting the gospel out. Until all people groups hear the gospel, Jesus isn't coming back. So how do we expedite this? <laughs> we preach the gospel. We support people. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can hold firmly to this. We don't have to shrink back. And, and when doubts come in, the enemy comes in. And, and, and how does he attack Christians? Okay, we, we've kind of gone over what he does to non-believers. But every time something doesn't work out the way we think it should work out in our lives, Satan will come in and say, See, God doesn't care. You prayed about that. He sowed seeds of doubt in your confidence and your faith in God. Every time 
prayers don't go the way we think we should pray, or every time life takes a turn and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming, Satan steps in and and he tries to sow seeds of doubt, and the author of Hebrews knows that. The Holy Spirit knew that. That's why he had him write it. He said, regardless of that, hold firmly to what you believe. Life is going to be full of all sorts of right-angle turns, going backwards, going forward. Hold firmly to what you believe. Life doesn't always work out the way we think. A man makes his plans, but the Lord orders his steps. But at the end of the day, we hold firmly these, to these truths. Salvation is through Christ. Jesus is coming back. My faith is in him, not in me. We hold firmly to what we believe. We can stand on the word of God. So bad things happen. Things don't work out the way we think they should work out. And the enemy comes in and you know, starts sowing false narratives into our mind. We have an option at that moment who we listen to. We can double down in the word of God and say, no, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So this is going to work out for my favor because God loves me. Or we can sit here and listen to the lies of the enemy and play out those false narratives over and over and over in our head and get depressed, get anxious, um, deal with all these sorts of things because instead of doubling down on the Word of God, the infallible Word of God, not one error in the Word of God and the truth of God, we can listen to the false narratives of the enemy. And the, and, and, and the author of Hebrews says, do not do that. Hold firmly to what you believe because Jesus is our high priest. We can this is not theoretical. This is not a what if. This is truth. I can hold firmly because God's word will come to pass. The second thing I want, to, I want us to hit on real quick. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Sometimes I think that you know, we, we overlook the weight and the magnitude of what this really says like I want us to read it together and then I want us to just think about what it's saying let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God we have a few kingdoms left Queen Elizabeth just passed away now we have King Charles over the commonwealth. I promise you this. If you walk boldly into his throne room unannounced, that might be the last day of your life. Think there's a king in Denmark. If you walk boldly into his throne room unannounced, that might be the last day of your life. Think Spain has a monarchy. There's a handful of monarchies left. But I promise you, you have no invitation to walk boldly into any of their throne rooms unannounced or without invitation. You will probably get killed. The author of Hebrews understood this infinitely more because they had not just kingdoms, but they had the Roman Empire. And if you walked into the emperor's presence without an invitation, you would die. And so when he's telling the audience here 
to come boldly to the throne of God, they would have been like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then to put a layer on top of this analogy that the author is using, let's talk about high priest for a second. Because he's talking about Christ is our high priest. Because Christ is our high priest, we can come boldly to the throne of grace and receive mercy. So what did the high priest do? And we're going to get into this a little more detailed next week. But the high priest would literally, there's a temple in Jerusalem. And in, in the temple, there's two rooms. There's a holy place that all the priests could go into, and then there's the most holy place. And the most holy place had the Ark of the Covenant. It was a gold box that had the Ten Commandments, Aaron's staff, had two angels and wings. It was covered in gold. It was really beautiful, evidently. Um, but that's where the presence of God on earth dwelt. That was kind of his throne room. So once a year on Passover, the high priest would get up his full regalia. He would make sacrifices for his own sin first. He would confess all his sin and then turn around and make a sacrifice for the sin of the nation. And then he would take the blood of that and walk into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant. And in his regalia, he would have bells, things that would make noise. And I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying it. And then on one of his ankles, he would have a rope tied. And if he failed to confess all his sins, the priest would sit in the holy, the, the, the holy place, the other one that they go into. Listen, if he quit jingling in the most holy place, they knew that he died. Because he walked into the presence of God with sin on his life. And the presence of God killed him <laughs> hence the rope and they would pull him out they'd be like alright who's next <laughs> so when the author says we can come boldly this Hebrew audience would have been like whoa to the presence of God but let's think about what Jesus did, being our high priest. Not only was Jesus our high priest, he was a sacrificial lamb. So he was both. Without sin, the, the, the high priest had to make a sin offering to God for his own sin and for the sin of the nation. But Jesus made a sin offering for our sin. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says because what separated the most holy place from the holy place was this really thick veil. Like, think of a thick, thick, thick curtain. And, it's, it, and it was tall, it was thick, it was heavy, and it separated the two rooms. And the Bible says that it was torn from top to bottom. What did that mean? That means the presence of God left the most holy place. Where did the presence of God go then? Paul says in 1 Corinthians that when we accept Christ as our Savior, we become the temple. And the very presence of God left that, that would kill. It, it, like, like sin. Like if there was sin on the priest, then he would die. 
But because we're made righteous with God upon salvation, we have right standing. God makes us holy. His presence enters us and we become the temple. Because Jesus is our high priest, not only can we come boldly into the throne, we can enter the presence of God anywhere, anytime. Anywhere, anytime. In the Old Testament, it was a place. It was a tabernacle. It was a temple. But we can experience the presence of the living God in Walmart. We can experience the presence of the living God gathered together in this building. We can experience it driving home. We can experience it in the shower. We can experience it any place we are. Why? Because the presence of God is with us. The difference is, are we aware of that? Do we live our life aware of the presence of God? Some of us live our life condemned. We, when we come to God, we come timidly to God, like he's going to strike us down, like, hey, it's me again, Jesus. Sorry, I haven't talked to you in a while, or whatever. Or, God, forgive me, I'm just so messed up you know my struggles and all this and the author says no come boldly why you will receive mercy you will receive grace every time you come to the throne of god every like well, what does that look like every time you pray you're entering the throne room of god you're acknowledging the presence of god in you we can say god I'm so glad you're with me. We can walk in confidence because he has never left us once. He's never abandoned us once. He's with us. Because Jesus is our high priest, we don't have to find common ground with God when we pray. And what does that look like? Well, God, if you show up in this situation, oh, I promise oh, I won't miss church for a month. That's common ground. Or, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this for you. No, no, you don't have to do that. That's not biblical. You come to the throne of God boldly. And you will receive grace. You don't have to worry about God condemning you. Why? Because Jesus was condemned for us. We can come and just say, God, thank you. The presence of God is always with us. We're not always aware of it. How do we become aware of the presence? Because in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. In the presence of God, there's peace. In the presence of God, there's hope. In the presence of God, we're undone. So, how do, we, how do we do that? How do we become aware? I think it, it's a couple things. Make it a point to turn our attention to God in everything. I'm walking through Walmart, picking up groceries. Lord, thank you that you provided that. I mean, like, like every, every part of our life. Clipping your toenails. Thank you, Lord, that I have toenails. We, what, uh, you get what I'm saying? 
we, we turn our attention to him all the time, all the time. Because the enemy is going to try to sow seeds of doubt. He's going to try to sow seeds of anxiety. He's going to try to sow seeds of depression. He's going to try to make that obstacle in your way seem bigger than what it is. He's going to try to, to make the prayer need seem impossible. He'll even sometimes say, why, why pray? Nothing will change. He'll say stuff like that, and that's not true. Because God changes impossible things all the time. We become aware when we turn our attention to him. He's with you. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Holy Spirit is always 100% available. You wake up at 3.30 in the morning, he's there. You wake up at 1.30 in the afternoon because we like naps and the assemblies of God, he's there. There's a reason why Randy has his own office. He can close the blinds and close the homestroke. No, he's there. He's aware. Are we aware? Because Jesus is our high priest, we can come boldly. We don't have to be timid in our prayer life. We don't have to be scared. We don't have to worry about him condemning us. The other day, this is this is how this is how detailed our God is for our lives. I'm just going to share a testimony because I, I I'm blown away by it. But this is how detailed. This is how this is how when when we become aware. And, and I I got to be honest. I'm working on this with you guys. This is a process of just recognizing God is with me. But the other day I was gonna substitute at the school and it was Tuesday morning and like if I have to be somewhere, I always wake up before my alarm. I set it and like, I set it for like 6.15, I woke up at five. And so I was like, since I'm awake, I'm gonna pray. So I just started praying for the day. Like quite frankly, children scare me. So, um, <laughs> Like I'm substituting for fourth grade teenagers. I can handle children, man. They, um, you never know what they're gonna do. Those shifty little guys. Um, but I started praying, like Lord, I pray that you just allow me to speak words of life into these kids. Lord, I don't know who all is gonna be in my class. I don't know how that's gonna work out. But Lord, let me be a blessing to this. The school. Let me, let me be an encouragement to the administration, man. They're going in day in and day out and trying to shape a generation. And they're, they're having stuff shoved down their throat from our government and different things like that. I'm like, Lord, let me just be a breath of fresh air. Let me, let me just speak life and, and just encourage the people around me. Lord, I don't know what that looks like, but I do know this, the power of life and death is in the tongue of those who eat, those who love it will eat its fruit. So I'm like, if I'm going to be at the school today, let me speak encouragement over whoever I talk to. That was what I was praying. At 5.30, this thought went through my head. There will be a student named Jacob in your classroom today. He's in desperate need of encouragement. That went through my head. 
I'm like, that's pretty specific. A student named Jacob, he's in desperate need of encouragement. Okay. So Amy gets up and I'm like, man, this has just been going on. Like it was like playing, have you guys ever had like a, a song on repeat or something go like it just, it was like in my head, a student named Jacob student named Jacob is desperately needs encouragement in my class today. Like it was just over and over and over. I couldn't shake it. I was like, man, Ames, this is what the Lord just really laid on my heart. I don't know. I, I might sound crazy. I might sound crazy. That sounds pretty crazy, right? It seems pretty crazy. But I'm like, God, I believe you. So use me. So I went to the school, did what I was supposed to do. I was in the classroom at 745 and about 7.55, student walks in. Young man said, hey, um, I'm, I'm Mr. Tatham. They want you to go buy that. I would never introduce myself that way. And he, I said, what's your name? He goes, it's Jacob. I'm like, oh. I'm gonna start crying. And I had about 10 minutes right there. And the whole day, I was like, okay, I can't play favorites but I want to go out of my way to encourage this kid. So I just started saying, man, Jacob, you're so awesome. Dude, I, I, what's your favorite? Just, just go out of my way to say, man, I bet you're a smart kid. You know, and just different things like that. He's in desperate need of encouragement. You know, and just becoming aware, I could have rolled over and went back to sleep, but I'm like, God woke me up for a reason. There's a reason. You're here for a reason. God's placed you right where you're at for a reason. So, so maybe the next time you wake up in the middle of the night and say, no, oh, this sucks. Say, okay, God, who do you want me to pray for? Become aware because we can enter his throne room boldly. What do you need? What do you need from God today? He promised that you're going to receive grace and mercy. Why not ask him? This is how we're going to enter his throne room boldly as we close. We're going to recognize the sacrifice he made through the body and the blood. Because Jesus was our high priest, because he was the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We can enter the throne room boldly and receive everything that this represents. This affords us so much. So let's stand, let's, let's come get communion. I'll give you a good 10 minutes to get the lid open, get your cracker out. It's crazy when we become aware of the presence of God, we'll, we, we realize things like 
The Holy Spirit's never wrong, never once wrong. He's never made a mistake, never wrong. I was at minister's retreat last week and on Monday night, the Lord, we had a moment where we just lingered in the presence of God and Pastor Terry, our district superintendent said, let's not rush out of this. Let's see what, what's going on. Let's see if the Lord wants to say anything. And you know, we're in a room full of hundreds of ministers, hundreds, probably 400 ministers there. And we're all trying to stop and listen. What is the Lord saying? And you know, God's an orderly God, but the Lord laid something on my heart. And I thought, this is crazy. As I'm listening, I'm like, God, do you want to say anything? And and like, I think the Lord knows that I'm willing to look like a fool um, or, or be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong. But this thought went through my head. There's a minister who tried to fix his knee on his own through surgery. His left knee is still hurting and he's been doing ministry in pain, but I want to heal him. And then he also said, and I'm going to take care of type 2 diabetes. I'm like, oh, oh. Now I'm like, oh gosh, Lord, give me faith to say this. This is like, I don't know if you've ever seen AG ministers, but they're not exactly the epitome of health. I'll cut that out later. And I start praying. I'm like, God, I, I don't know what you want me to do with this. Do you want me to get up and go see Pastor Terry right now? Like, what do you want me to do? And, and it was so clear. He said, not yet. I'm like, okay. So like, you would think that that would be clear to me. I'm like, so what does that mean? Not like, not yet right now? So like in 30 seconds or I'm like wrestling like crazy about this. And so I look, Pastor Ben was on the same row and, and he looked at me, I looked at him and he knew him being with me for three years. He knew that I was wrestling with something. And he goes, come on. And I get up and I walk over to him and I tell him what I just told you about what the Lord said to me. And as I'm telling him, someone got up and gave a third word of wisdom or knowledge. And I said, okay, well, there's three. First Corinthians chapter 14 says there should be no more than three. So I went and sat back down. Like I want to honor the, the, the Lord. I went and sat back down and said, Lord, I, forgive me. But I didn't feel condemned. And he said, I told you not yet. Whole message goes by. I go up and I pray for Pastor Ben. You know, Pastor Ben has stepped into this lead pastoring thing. He's uh, drinking water from a fire hydrant right now, figuring it all out. I'm praying for him, my friend. And the speaker gets up and says, the Lord wants to heal people. And the Lord said, now is the time. I'm like, okay. Once again, we're in a room of like 400 people and I don't know if you guys know about this, pastors are full of grace normally towards their congregation, but to one another, like we're always analyzing things. It's weird, I, 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 I don't like to be like that. That's why sometimes like I have a hard time going to ministers things. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, God, if you give me an opportunity, I'll say it. So I told a district official who is over me and he said, go tell Pastor Terry. So I did, I did. And I'm like, okay, I did my part. I told Pastor Terry what the Lord laid on my heart about the left knee surgery, God wants to heal, and diabetes. And I turn around and walk away. He's like, Ryan, come here. He's like, here's a mic. 
I'm like, oh, you want me to say that to the room? Come on. So I said, okay, earlier this is what the Lord laid on my heart. And I just told them just like that. I just told them like, God said he, there's a person here that had surgery in the left knee that God wants to heal. You've been doing ministry in pain. And, and I said, and he wants to heal type two diabetes. And dude, it was like, it was like a, a blanket lifted off the room. As soon as I said that, I was like, oh, it was like the presence of God hit people. It was crazy. I'm like, I was like, whoa, God's never wrong. And so I gave the mic back to Pastor Terry and I walked off. He said, Brian, come here. It's like, what? Okay, I'm, I'm back. He said, dude, go pray with him. One guy walked up with a cane. He had surgery in his left knee. Been doing ministry in pain. Tried to take care of it on its own. And so I, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Holy Spirit's never wrong. And, and sometimes we, if we don't still ourselves, we'll, we'll miss those little nuances because it was a fleeting thought. It was such a weird random boom right through my head. I was like, and I had to stop. I was like in the middle of worship and you guys know I love to worship, but I, I sat down because I needed to focus. I, I like, okay, God, what did you just say to me? What was that thought? And, I, and, 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 and it went through my head again. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can be aware that the presence of God is with us day in and day out. And so, once again, though, God does things his way, right? So I prayed with this dude. And I said, well, how's your knee feel? He has this big brace on. He's like, well, I could bend it more, but the pain's still there. I'm like, well, let's pray again. I prayed again. He's like, well, the pain's there, but I could bend it more. I said, and then this thought went through my head. This, like, you know, I'm crazy. I said, the Lord's going to heal you by Wednesday. And you're going to throw that cane away. Okay, God. I'm like, dude, I, I wrestled with these things too. So I said it to him. And he said, whoa. I'm like, well, I wasn't expecting that. Because I, I thought God was going to heal him. After being that specific in a prayer, I'm like, I thought he was going to walk out of that night running, you know, taking his, you know. But he said, before I walked in here tonight, I was praying about my knee and how it hurt. And the Lord said, give me three days. God is constantly speaking to us. God is constantly, and, and, and the challenge today is let's become aware because Jesus is our high priest, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us walk in. God is speaking to you. God wants to move through you. God wants to do things through you. And all we have to do is just recognize that God is with us. God is for us. God is speaking to us. He's always speaking to us, always. And if, if we're not hearing him, it's not his fault. You guys know those old radios? You had to tune the dial to get in. You had to move the antenna. That, that's, that's, what, that's what this can do. Taking communion and realigning our thoughts on Christ. It tunes our antenna. It focuses us on who Jesus is. And suddenly we become aware of his presence in our life. We, 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 we become aware of those, those notions, those passing thoughts. He says, go pray with that person or, hey, I'm going to move. Just trust me. Uh, hey, don't rush into that. God, God, you know what I'm saying? 
So let's just take the bread for a moment. Let's tune our thoughts on who Jesus is, what he did. The Bible says in Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him. And by his stripes, by the beating he took on his body, we are healed. I believe it's God's will to heal people. Jesus never had a person that he prayed for who didn't get healed. The disciples never had people that he prayed for didn't get healed. I believe it's God's will. you need healing, receive it. God heals us in a myriad of different ways. But let's just thank him. Let's just thank him together. Jesus, because your body was beaten, I can have healing. Jesus, we thank you for your body that went to the whipping post, that you subjected your body to death. You subjected your body to beatings. You subjected your body to nails through your wrist and your feet. Lord, you subjected yourself so we don't have to. Jesus, we thank you that your body heals our body. Your beating heals us. We thank you, Jesus. And maybe you don't need healing in your body, but maybe you know someone who does need a physical touch. Lift them up. Let's pray for it. Why not? We can come to the throne of God boldly with all kinds of prayers and requests, and we will receive mercy and grace. Jesus, I pray for your church right now. There are people in this room that need a physical healing. I pray, Lord, we stand on what your word says. By your stripes, we are healed. You said that multiple times. Lord, we believe the truth. We hold on to it firmly, and we will not let it go. So I bind every afflicting spirit that is tormenting bodies in the name of Jesus. I bind all diabetes. I bind all depression and anxiety in the name of Jesus. I bind all knee pain in the name of Jesus. I bind a spinal misalignment in the name of Jesus. I bind blindness in the name of Jesus. Jesus, because you took the stripes, we can be healed. We, we, we stand on that and we thank you, church. Let's just thank him. Let's just thank Jesus. Jesus, we thank you because you are such a good God. We worship you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you. I bind every neurological um, infirmity that's coming against your church, whether it be fibromyalgia or lupus, I bind it in the name of Jesus. And we release healing right now. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, because you're a mighty God. You are a good God. We praise your name, Jesus. Let's take, let's take the bread. Only God can one-up himself. If that wasn't enough, he could have just healed our bodies while we're here on this earth, but he turns around and his blood cleanses us from all sin, from all <laughs> death, and it sets us free from hell, death, and the grave, and it makes us righteous before God. Jesus' blood 
sets us free. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no removal of sin, but Jesus shed his blood to remove all of our trespasses against God. Only God can make something better. Jesus, I thank you. Let's just thank him, church. We thank you that your blood sets us free. We thank you that you shed your blood in our place for our sins, that we can be walk in freedom from sin. Lord, I pray right now that, that you will restore joy of our salvation. Lord, we, we, we take authority right now in the mighty name of Jesus over depression and anxiety. Those things that, and, and every lie of the enemy, we bind and we release your truth that your joy is enough, that Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. You are the Prince of Peace, and you bring peace to the storms of our life. You bring peace to our mind. You bring peace to, to panic, oh Jesus. Oh Jesus, we thank you that your blood is enough, <laughs> that you are enough, that you set us free. What do you need freedom from, church? Just tell him. We can come boldly to the throne of grace because Jesus is our high priest. And we can receive mercy and grace. Tell them what you need freedom from. Jesus. Thank him. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood sets us free, that you're enough. Jesus, you're enough. We thank you that the shedding of blood completely made us righteous with God, that you could take red blood and turn us white as snow. Jesus, we praise you. We worship you. Let's take, let's take the cup. And because communion is not a funeral it is a celebration it is a celebration what i want us to do and i like i'm i am a huge fan of always ending a service in worship let's worship the king of kings and the lord of lords let us become more of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory come on sing that again let us let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness Lord. and Fill the atmosphere, your glory. 